very first episode, we're talking about a 2000s cartoon that's nothing short of magical. That's right, Winx Club. In honor of the show's 20th anniversary this year, we'll sort through a retrospective series, learn fun facts behind the scenes, explore its enduring popularity, and what's next for the girls of Alfia. So get ready to take flight into this spellbinding premiere of That One Somali Nerd. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Faisa Barise here, and you're listening to That One Somali Nerd, a podcast on all things geek and then some. Each week, I'll be reviewing a show, movie, game, or comic series that has made big waves in today's geek culture. I'll also throw in a fair share of nostalgia with some fun surprises along the way. So get ready to hear it all from me and a whole lot more right here on That One Somali Nerd. Of course, be sure you check out my link tree in the notes where you can find my website at fadedraws.com along with my socials on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram all in one place. I also have a Patreon where patrons gain access to behind-the-scenes info, new episodes a day early, an invite to the official Discord server, and more. For details and inquiries, email me at faiza.barise at gmail.com. Thanks for the support and let's get to the show. So, 2024 marks the 20th anniversary of Winx Club, a cartoon as magical as it is memorable. Looking back, it's no surprise how big of an impact it had on 2000s kids like me when it first aired, especially on Saturday mornings. It almost felt like yesterday when I was tuning into the show on the Fox Box, only for my jaw to drop as the fairies of Althea graced my screen. The sparkly outfits, quirky dialogue, school drama, high-flying action, whew, was a lot for a kid, let alone a five-year-old to take in. And the fact that Fox Box, unlike Fox Kids, no relation folks, took a chance on Winx challenged the view of Saturday mornings being considered a boy zone, especially when later shows like Mew Mew Power and Magical Dory Me aired. Funny enough, Winx Club is similar to both since they fall under the same genre. But despite Winx being labeled as a quote-unquote Western magical girl show, it's an animated series with a style primarily based on Japanese anime. And all of it had to do with the guy behind the work, Eugenio Strafi. Now, let's get real, folks. This guy is a weeb. Growing up in the 70s, Strafi watched anime such as Science Ninja Team Gachaman, Mazinger Z, and The Rose of Versailles that were really popular in his youth. He also read comics from the likes of Sergio Bonelli, a prominent figure in the Italian comic industry that propelled Strafi himself to become an artist. After graduation, he moved to France in 1992 where he spent his early career as a storyboard artist. Taking note of the inner workings behind animation, Strafi carried this experience back to Italy to found Rainbow in 1995, aiming to bring a new take on Italian animation to the world. But Strafi didn't stop there. At the time, he noticed how a lot of popular action shows didn't center around women. Most of them were either supporting characters to the heroes or barely seen beyond damsels or love interests. To this end, Strafi aimed to create a show with a lead female protagonist that, in his own words, explored the psychological side of adulthood. This led to Rainbow developing a pilot for a series called Magic Bloom in 1999. Produced within a year of tests, surveys, and studies, the short was released in 2001. This caught the attention of Rai Fiction, who decided to fund 25% of production in exchange for broadcasting rights. 
Despite this beneficial outcome, Serafi couldn't ignore the audience disinterest the pilot received, leading Rainbow to rework the entire project from scratch. And that started with a new name. Production for the revised series kicked off in 2002 as Winx, Just Fairies. Serafi chose the name Winx due to its similarity with the English word Wings, befitting the show's action fantasy theme. The character designs were also altered, ditching the outdated European fashion in favor of a modern take on fantasy. Enlisting the help of fashion designers also helped with the stylish new direction for the group, along with each member based on popular celebrities at the time. So Bloom was based on Britney Spears, Stella on Cameron Diaz, Flora was inspired by Jennifer Lopez, Musa was based on Lucy Liu, Techno was based on Pink, and Aisha, who was introduced in Season 2, based on Beyonce. To be honest, this change spoke to how a lot of girls resonated with the Winx in terms of representation. There must have been plenty of Latina, Asian, and Black girls who saw themselves in Flora, Musa, and Aisha growing up. Each member had a personality that set them apart yet reaffirmed their identity in the team. It's because of this individuality and representation that I understand the fandom's frustrations with later seasons of Winx and the live-action reboot, which we'll get to in a bit. As production in the first season neared the end, Strafi settled on the final title as Winx Club. The club aspect reflected the show's demographic as young girls felt the need to recognize themselves in a group of friends. This idea of friendship became the core of the Winx ideology, a central theme that would resonate with the series going forward. By the time season 1 wrapped in 2003, Rainbow delivered the first episode to international distributors at MIPCOM later that year. Then, on January 28, 2004, Winx Club took flight. Season 1 The series centers on Bloom, a teenage girl living in Gardenia. Having spent her whole life with her parents Mike and Vanessa, alongside her pet bunny Kiko, she desires to explore places beyond her hometown. During a trip to the park, she finds Kiko escaping from the bushes before discovering a battle between a fairy and an ogre. Seeing the young girl in peril, Bloom rushes to her side before unleashing a hidden power to defeat the creature. The girl introduces herself as Stella, and informs Bloom that her powers can only be honed by studying at the Alfia College for Fairies. It is there that Bloom meets other fairies such as Flora, Tecna, and Musa. Forming a team called the Wings Club, they must train their skills, navigate school life, encounter allies, and fight back against the Tricks, a trio of witches who plan to seize Bloom's power for themselves. The first season provides a nice worldview of magic from Bloom's perspective. I love how Bloom interacts with the Winx girls, the staff at Althea, and a specialist of Red Fountain, one of whom becomes her love interest. As she learns to use her abilities as a fairy of the dragon flame, I appreciate how the show gives insight to the flame's origins in the great dragon's creation of magics and of the ancestral witches. Remember them, they're important. The latter's actions in bringing Domino's fall setting the stage for later seasons. I also acknowledge the hints we get of Bloom's own past through her dreams of Daphne, a mysterious nymph who helps realize her destiny. This leads to the big revelation of Bloom being the long-lost princess of Domino, having been protected as a baby by Daphne from the ancestral witches. Not only was Daphne revealed to be her sister, she was actually responsible for sealing the dragon flame in Bloom before sending her to Gardenia prior to the fall of their homeworld. This provides a crucial step in Bloom's journey, especially as the tricks steal her power in the climax to take over magics, fulfilling their predecessor's schemes. The end result, they didn't know what they were up against. Seeing Bloom regain the true power of the dragon flame and one-upping the tricks in the finale was entertaining, her big ring match with Icy being the highlight. As the first season concludes, it does a good job as a springboard to the series as the Winx face new adventures ahead. Season 2 I love that we're introduced to Aisha as a new member of the Winx. 
Before recording this episode, I actually found out her edition was based on North American feedback for the show, which makes more sense in retrospect. As for the story, I'm glad things don't slow down for the Winks, even in their junior year at Althea. The introduction of the Pixies was a nice addition, as their bonding with the Winks proves essential in receiving their new abilities, Charmix. Even if it felt lackluster, it helped broaden the girls' characterization as each member overcame their flaws to earn this power. They also have to deal with a new enemy in Darkar, aka the Shadow Phoenix, who seeks four pieces of the Codex that unlocks the ultimate power of relics. Seeing the Trick's return wasn't surprising yet effective as their alliance with Darkar sees them getting powers of their own through Gloomix. This season relies more on the world-building aspect as the quest for the Codex sees the Wings explore Althea, Red Fountain, Cloud Tower, and Pixie Village, with each piece protected by a Guardian Pixie. We also see the season expand in new ways. Bringing Helia to the story is a welcome one, especially in regards to Flora's romantic arc and big confession scene. The Prince Sky Brandon name switch debacle in season 1 was clarified once we learned of Sky being targeted by his kingdom's enemy, Yoshinoya. Diaspora ends up being a solid rival for Bloom, returning from season 1 still vying for the prince's hand, even if it gets recaptured by a group of Gatchaman wannabes. Which, by the way, Google Gatchaman and go back to rewatching that season 2 episode if you want any more indication of Strafi being a massive weeb. The introduction of Professor Avalon also tests the waters of Bloom and Sky's relationship, even as they reach a breaking point. Avalon's reveal as an imposter does a good job as a climatic twist once the real one shows up at Althea. Seeing Bloom become Dark Bloom also ups the stakes as Darkar gets closer and closer to seizing the ultimate power. Even with the Trix's combined efforts to get back, they get pushed aside. Just goes to show that fusion is just a cheap tactic to make weak witches stronger. The Winks are now forced to battle their old friend only for Skye to admit his feelings for Bloom, therefore breaking the spell. As the girls reunite, they converge their powers to destroy Darkar once and for all. With the tricks gone, the ultimate power returned to relics, and the day saved yet again, the season ends on a high note in setting the scene for the final chapter. Season 3 First off, let me just get this out of the way and state the obvious. This is arguably every Winx fan's favorite season. The story, character drama, world building, new abilities, and action ramp up as the girls enter their final year at Althea. Their goal? To earn Enchantix, a powerful final form essential in graduating to become Guardian Fairies. And don't get me wrong, that transformation theme slaps. Achieved through an act of sacrifice for their home world, this puts Bloom at odds due to the destruction of her own and inner struggles towards earning the form. The Winx must also deal with a new threat in Valtor, an evil wizard who has broken free of the Omega Dimension to wreak havoc on magics once again. Along with the Trix's return, the Winx must earn Enchantix along with new abilities in the Water Stars and Fairy Dust, benefiting them in battling their toughest enemies yet. Speaking of enemies, can we please talk about Valtor because his reveal is one for the books. The fact that he had a role in the destruction of Domino was insane, leading to his constant schemes against Bloom more apparent. The season also has drama catapulted to new heights as Bloom and Sky's relationship gets tested to its limits. Stella deals with arrival in Chimera as she and her mother plot to usurp the kingdom of Solaria from her father, King Radius. This season also sees Aisha finding a new love in Ophir, aka Naboo, a wizard from her homeworld of Andros that eventually becomes her boyfriend. And boy, are they perfect for each other. In reviewing the season, it made for quite the viewing experience. All of the girls go through their personal challenges and rise against the odds, remaining ever committed to their mission. Even their final battle against Valtor proved to be amazing, that last part of Bloom ending Valtor being a favorite of mine. With the season's conclusion, the events actually paved the way for the first movie being the true finale.
Movie 1, The Secret of the Lost Kingdom As the conclusion of the original series, this was meant to wrap up Bloom's journey. After destroying Valtor, Bloom goes on a quest to defeat the Ancestral Witches and restore Domino to complete her Enchantix mission. Since her form was considered incomplete during Season 3, that meant having to sit out of graduation as her friends became Guardian Fairies. With their next chapter in life before them, the girls reaffirmed their friendship and ally with Bloom. Through odds and ends, this proves to be the apex of the Winx's story. From their first fight against the Trix to their battle against the new villain, Mandragora, it shows how far the girls have come as fairies. I like how we get more clues to Bloom's birth parents, King Oratel and Queen Marion, and their roles among the Company of Light, who are mentioned in previous seasons. I like the insight into Hagen's past having forged Oratel's weapon, along with his relationship with Farragonda being teased. There's also Lord Bartleby in his role as a scribe in the Book of Fate, which has yet to reveal a new page in Bloom's journey. The music also works well in the movie with All the Magic, sung by Natalie Imbruglia, who, by the way, was the same one who sang Torn, being an all-out banger. The film reaches a climax as Bloom, with the help of Skye and Daphne, work to defeat the ancestral witches, restore Domino, reunite her with her birth parents, and finally sees her become a true guardian fairy. Add that to Prince Sky's marriage proposal, and uh, you got a happy ending for the books. Aside from the pre-credits scene near the end, the movie caps off the story as the Winks have earned their stru- er, wings as the new company of light. Even with some plot threads in the midst, it makes up for it in charm to provide a nice ending to the girl's journey at Althea. Or so we think. Season 4 since Trafi recognized how popular the series was, he decided to bring the Winx back for a fourth installment along with a brand new form, Believix. The girls receive a hero's welcome back at Althea only to face a new enemy, the Wizards of the Black Circle. As their Enchantix powers prove useless, Farragonda states that it actually allows for new levels of magic to be unlocked, one being Believix. For their new mission, the Winx are sent to Gardenia in search of the last fairy on Earth, a girl named Roxy, who is key to unlocking this new form to defeat the wizards, bring the Earth fairies, and restoring magic on Earth. However, making people believe in fairies isn't easy, as the Winx try to blend in with their new environment, deal with the wizards' schemes, and help Roxy unlock a power that can change the fate of magic on Earth. As the fourth installment, it's also a bit controversial among the fanbase. With Roxy as the seventh fairy, many couldn't deal with her character and express disbelief at her receiving Believix, despite never achieving the previous forms. That aside, I appreciate how her journey mirrors Bloom in Season 1 as both evolve from normal girls on Earth to powerful fairies, with Roxy as the fairy of animals. The Winx earning Believix felt sudden but crucial in stopping the wizards, especially when the fairy pets came into play. And can I just say that I really love the fairy pets and their role in bringing back the magic? I know they sound like a plot device just to move the story and stuff, but aren't they just the cutest? Seeing the Winks navigate life after school felt relatable as we see them run a pet store called Love and Pet and form a band at the Fruity Music Bar with the specialist checking in on the job. It's rare for a show, let alone a cartoon to explore life post-grad, but I love how this season handled it well. As for events, there's a handful. Music gets the record deal of a lifetime, yet feels more at odds with Riven. Stella finds Bloom's childhood rival, Mitzi, butting in between her and Brandon. Naboo, having appeared in season 3, begins a relationship with Aisha, with the two being official by the second act. The Winks also receive new upgrades with three wings, Speedix, Zoomix, and Tracix, and two additional forms in the Gifts of Destiny, that being Sofix and Lovix. We see Roxy having dreams of Morgana, the Queen of the Earth Fairies of Tirnanog, who is later revealed to be her own mother seeking war against humanity's betrayal of magic. The second half sees the Winx battle the Earth Fairies and try 
find the reason with each member. This reaches ahead when one of the main characters die, sorry folks, ain't telling you which one, and defending the Earth Fairies from the Wizards, prompting Morgana to abandon her quest for vengeance. Even with one of the Earth Fairies leading a Winx member down the same path, the rest help them see reason by reaffirming their commitment to Earth and beating the Wizards. In the end, Roxy and her family reconcile and the Winx, having completed their mission, take off once more into the sunset. Movie 2, Magical Adventure. Now, there's some confusion as to where Movie 2 fits in the timeline since it was developed prior to Season 4, but since Season 4 eventually happened, and in regards to proper continuity and acknowledgement of the post credit scene in Movie 1, this is the best place to put it. Magical Adventure takes place following the first movie, with Bloom reunited with her birth family and assuming her new duties as Princess of Domino. Everyone celebrates by throwing a party at Althea, only to get crashed by the tricks. Turns out they're now in league with the ancestral witches and promptly sees a magic compass in the midst of the fiasco. Their goal? To track down the Tree of Life and erasing all positive magic from the magic dimension. On top of that, the Princess Ball is fast approaching and Skye proposes to Bloom, again, to which she accepts. However, his father, King Arendor, doesn't agree with the Union as he blames himself for Domino's downfall and betraying his former friend, Bloom's father, King Oratel. As tensions mount between the kings, their conflict has to wait as the Winx reunite to take down the witches. This sees the fairies, specialists, and kings band together to the haunted city of Havram to save the tree and restore positive energy back to magics. I like this movie since we see how much the CGI upgraded from the first film. The way the film expands on King Oratel's past friendship with Arendor is notable as the two learn to move from the past and agree to the union. The flying ship the team uses to travel to Havram is amazing in terms of detail. I also loved how the city looks as the designers really nailed the abandoned haunted atmosphere. The team's battle against the tricks with the ancestral witches fusion with them works, even if it feels repetitive. Seriously, why do these witches like to keep fusing? The movie ends pretty well with the restoration of positive magic in the tree, the ancestral witches gone, and the tricks defeated as the crew head home. Now before we get into the second part of this retrospect, we'll be taking a short break right here. Keep it real! back. Once again, this is That One Smile Nerd with your host Faiza Barise here. Thanks for tuning in y'all and without further ado, let's get back to the retrospect. Season 5. Because just when you think it ends, it starts all over again. Everyone considers Season 5 to be the beginning of the end for the Winx. In kickstarting Nickelodeon's revival era for the series, the relaunch opts for more formulaic subplots and questionable choices in the story. Having Sky lose his memory in the first half of the season and Icy crushing hard over the new villain, Tritanus, 
feels so out of left field. Most of the episodes tend to overdo it with rehashing moments such as Daphne's calls for help, Diaspora's constant proclamations of being a royal liaison, and the Selkies being virtually useless becoming more frequent. Worst of all is the characterization of Tritanus, who seems nothing more than a bratty teenager with an emo phase. However, I will give the show credit in some areas. I'm glad that we get more insight into Daphne's backstory this time around. We learn about her past since her spectral form in the series was actually the result of a curse being enacted by the ancestral witches after being backstabbed by her fellow nymph, Politeia. Having Bloom work towards saving Daphne felt impactful, a nice parallel to the early seasons. The Harmonix and Sirenix transformations are nice additions to the Winx catalog of fairy forms, allowing them to explore the infinite ocean. Not gonna lie, the way to use CGI for the infinite ocean scenes kinda reminds me of Kodioko. Just me? The implementation of the Sirenix wishes were also helpful in resolving events, from Stella's efforts to patching things up with her parents, to Bloom finally breaking Daphne's Sirenix curse, it felt like a rewarding way for the team to help out even after defeating Tritanus and the Tricks. Even if we really didn't see Musa using her wish… oh well. Movie 3, The Mystery of the Abyss. What can I say except I hate this film. Not much goes on in this movie aside from Bloom and Sky going on a date, him getting kidnapped by the Tricks, who then team up with Politeia, both of them working to bring back Titanus from Oblivion, finding a magic pearl that seems to conquer the oceans and stuff, the Winx banding together to stop them, fighting the baddies, and saving the day once more. Also, there's a dance sequence at the very end because why not? Season 6 In every fandom, there are people who believe that a particular work should have ended at some point. Avengers should have ended at Endgame. Of course, True Blood should have ended at Season 5. I get that. I say Winx should have ended at Season 6 and for good reason. This season felt like a step above Season 5 with the long-awaited return of the Pixies, albeit a bit different than what people anticipated, which I'll talk about later. We get to see Daphne become a history teacher at Althea and find a new partner in Thorin, Skye's cousin. I'm glad we learned about Bloom's history with this season's antagonist, Selina, a former friend turned witch who wields a book called the Legendarium that's capable of summoning mystical creatures to life. You also learn of their fairy godmother, Eldora, who's arguably a standout at this season. She's like a magical version of Miss Frizzle from the Magic School Bus, and I love it! Even with the loss of their powers, except for Bloom, I appreciate how she shared a piece of the Dragon Flame with the Winx in allowing them to achieve a new form, Bloomix. Now, this is gonna piss off a lot of people in the fandom, but Bloomix is kinda my all-time favorite form, if not a step above Antantix in terms of style and theme. I love how the Dragonflame's influence is reflected in the outfit designs, with each Winx taking on a mystical warrior appearance. We also see the Winx tackle new challenges as Musa deals with Riven's bad behavior, leading to their breakup. Aisha gets swept up in the love triangle between Roy and Nex while everyone reckons with the Legendarium's interference, especially once we get to Mythics. Having dipped their toes in 3D before, I see how Rainbow expanded on a CGI as the girls venture to the Legendarium world. I like how the tricks interfere as characters from Legends such as Icy as the Ice Queen and Stormy as the Bride of Frankenstein. What is with the writing staff this season? The use of fairy tale characters speaks volumes, pun intended, as we learned about Selena's plans to summon Asheron from the Legendarium, which doesn't end well as he betrays the witches and wreaks havoc. Eventually, Selena reforms, helping Bloom destroy Asheron before sealing the tricks inside the Legendarium. With the world and magics at peace, the series ends with Selena returning under Eldora's mentorship, Daphne and Thorne getting married, and the Wings celebrating. Let's be real, the ending is perfect in all aspects, and Rainbow should have finished the series there. Right?
Season 7 and Season 8. The Winks are back, and they brought magical friends! As much as Season 7 tries to continue the Winx's journey, they're stretching things too thin at this point. The Winx girls feel monotonous in character right down to their personalities. Even with new villains such as Kelshara and Berfilius, they come off more as a comedic duo than really challenging enemies. Their constant bickering doesn't help either, especially in their search for the ultimate power of the fairy animals. Seriously, what is with the show and their love for the words ultimate power? The fairy animals are introduced as if we needed more companions in our show, along with two new forms, Butterflix and Teenix. Tynix, whatever. I appreciate Rainbow's attempt to bring Roxy into this season since she's the fairy of animals and all, and they do, with mixed results. Having Morphilius bring back the tricks felt unnecessary only to stoke more fuel to the fire. Even with the fairy animals sacrificed to summon the Infinity Swan at the end to stop them, it felt too rushed. As for season 8, this quote-unquote soft reboot of the series doesn't help to establish itself either. The Winx and Specialists are now redesigned a lot younger, fitting in with the now preschool-age demographic of the recent seasons. This season also sees the Winx aiding a star named Twinkly to save the galaxy from darkness, heading to a planet called Lumenia where they earn a new transformation, Cosmics. This season goes all in on the nostalgia factor, bringing back familiar villains such as Valtor from Season 3, along with popular transformations that the fandom loves, such as Enchantix, Cyrenix, and Butterflix. They even brought back Riven, for some reason, just to re-spark his dead relationship with Musa. Oh, and for this season, they also gave Icy a backstory this time around. Talk about a retcon. Turns out she was a princess whose sister got turned into a fox and now has to save her. I get that Rainbow's trying to humanize Icy into giving her a reason for being the power-hungry witch she is, but man, are they trying. Even with the controversial redesigns for the new audience and attempts to cash in on the fandom's nostalgia, Season 8 falls flat as a mere shell now, of its former self. Now, as with all popular franchises, the show has a fair share of media. Hey, remember the Magical Pixies and how they were largely absent in Seasons 4 through 5? That's because they had a spin-off called Pop Pixie, a show where they go on crazy misadventures among the various gnomes, elves, and creatures of Pixieville. Most of the Pixies' designs have changed, some sporting updated looks, and new ones such as Sherry and Caramel being retconned as bonded pixies for Musa and Tecna in Season 6. Sorry, Tin Digit, you will sorrowfully be missed. Then again, the show did air outside of North America, hence a lot of the American Winx fanbase's confusion. There's also the show World of Winx, which reimagines the girls as a spy team working as talent scouts for WOW. They're tasked with helping young talents while stopping a talent thief that lands them to the magical island of Neverland. If you thought Season 6 dipped their toes into Legends, they hammered it home with this one. They also have to deal with Tinkerbell, who, surprise surprise, is now evil since Peter Pan left her, alongside her group of nemeses, malevolent personifications of the Winx's greatest weaknesses given form. Man, Persona reference anyone? Even if I don't like how they change the designs in some aspects, <coughs> skin color lightning, they do a good job of restoring the individuality of the Winx, a key element that was missed during the later seasons. Oh, and there's a live action reboot that's on Netflix since they love cashing in on nerd culture. Fate the Winx Saga, as a separate continuity, tries to capture the magic of the original, yet fails. It feels more like Riverdale and dramatizing the series, ditching the friendships in pastel for angst and dullness. Since the show also got axed by Netflix, which they're wont to do, there's a new comic series later this year that resumes the events after season 2. Besides the change of looks and casting controversy aside, you can check out all three spin-offs online. 
The show has its own comic series that does a good job expanding the lore and world building of the franchise, each of the issues correlating with a given season. You can also check them out yourself to learn more. Like any other franchise, there's a fair share of books, toys, stationaries, live shows, accessories, clothing, albums, and other merchandise except for- WAIT THERE'S MORE! Video games. The series has a wide range of video games based on the show from dress-up games to DDR spin-offs. On that note, I'm just crossing my fingers for a fighting game in the near future. Just hear me out, Rainbow! I'm talking Marvel vs. Capcom style where you can choose the heroes and the villains in 3v3 matches. Bonus of Valtor is the final boss with three phases just like Abyss and Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Hey, if Sailor Moon can have a fighting game, then so can Winx. Is that so hard? Now, The Winx Club has been a success story as the show that put Italian animation back on the map. Running off the wave of anime-inspired shows in the 2000s, the show has earned its place among its contemporaries. Strafi has even been likened to Walt Disney in revitalizing the medium in Italy, leading the theme parks and attractions built on the Winx's name. The show has seen a wave of popularity echo around the world from cosplay to fan art, right down to exhibits and comic conventions. There's even been retrospective articles and videos online that have reaffirmed its success as much as it critiques its flaws. Yes, despite Winx's notability in pop culture, it is no stranger to media scrutiny. The series has often been criticized for the designs of the characters and the direction of the show going into season 5. The show has even seen a lawsuit from Disney who claimed that Winx Club plagiarized their own comic series, Witch. In taking the claims to court, Strafi won the case as Winx had been devised in 1999, two full years before Witch got released. Man, standing up to the House of Mouse and winning goes to show you never mess with Italians. Need proof? Just ask Mario. In retrospect, it's hard not to think of a world without Winx Club. The show has left an indelible mark on geek culture in ways we couldn't ignore, much less sidelining conversation. The themes of friendship and sisterhood still resonate with so many fans today, some of whom saw themselves reflected in the Winx. The show's story in the early seasons make for perfect rewatches once you notice details you never knew were there. Heck, I still revisit the series as an adult and pick up on things I was surprised to discover in later rewatches. Even with the occasional missteps, I recommend Winx Club as it shines in capturing the magic of sisterhood. It's been a long 20 years for the girls of Althea, and with a new animated reboot on the horizon, I can't wait to see where their adventures take them next. And that marks the end of this week's episode. As always, you can check out my link tree in the notes, along with my website at fadedraws.com and socials on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram, all in one place. I also have a Patreon where patrons gain access to behind-the-scenes info, early releases of new episodes, a link to the official Discord server, and more. For details and inquiries, email me at fiza.barise at gmail.com. Once again, this is Fiza Barise signing off for That One Samaya Nerd this week. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time. Geek on!